This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly sponsored by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. As a city supporter, we know you value delivery, and McDelivery is up there with the very best. You'll always be winning with McDelivery because just like Kevin De Bruyne, McDelivery puts your order right on a plate. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered as well. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for you tomorrow. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. A gutsy win with plenty of character, or did City simply plaster over the cracks with their Luton win? That's what we'll be discussing today. It is Tuesday, the 12th of December. I'm Amos Murphy. I'm Adam Booker. And this is the City Report Podcast. Well then, welcome, welcome, Adam. Let's get straight into it. Um, the guys yesterday did a fantastic job of sort of going through the basics of the game. We're here today to hopefully delve into some of those more deep talking points, if you, if I can say that. Um, I just wanted to start off though, as usual, with thoughts on the match because neither of us were on the reaction show. So um, yeah, what, what did you make of it? City two, Luton one. I think maybe some people were expecting a bigger scoreline, but all things considered, given City's form, I think a win in this case, is a win. Yeah, I I don't have many bones to pick with that game. Um, you know, I think we kind of expected it to be, maybe feel a little blunt in attack without Holland, and obviously City have played without a striker before and, and done well in numerous seasons. But, you know, it, it felt a bit more fluid, but they weren't as ruthless. Uh, and that's kind of what it is. That's what it's like without Erling Holland. Yeah, I, I don't really have, like I said, many bones to pick with it. Um, I think coming from behind to win is always a huge boost. And I think especially given the talk over the mentality of the squad, are they burnt out? Do they have it within them to to keep fighting for a fourth Premier League title consecutively? And, and all that kind of stuff, you know, to come from behind at a place that has, you know, despite Luton sitting in the bottom three and, you know, sitting on very little points, it's become a place that's, you know, been tough for teams to go. You know, Arsenal had to get a 90th minute winner to win 4-3 last time out. And, um, yeah, I, I think to show that character, um, to come from behind without some of your better players, I, I you can't really complain. 
Yeah, um, I've been a bit, I'll be honest, I've been a little bit confused with the reaction. Um, not necessarily from City supporters, but, but in, in some instances so. More, more the sort of the wider mainstream reaction to this this result because I think, I mean, obviously not everybody and not everybody should be in tune with City and the City's fortune so far this season. But I, I heard on the radio last night, um, can't remember, BBC Radio maybe, 606, uh, Robbie Savage and Chris Sutton sort of debating whether or not City are off it this season if they're sort of you know they've let the standards slips blah 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 and I guess in isolation you can make those arguments but given what has just happened in terms of going four matches without a win I felt like going into the game at Kenilworth Road, it was a win at all costs. And and obviously it wasn't a must win in terms of the season. City would have still been in a title race for my money anyway, had they not been had they not beaten Luton. But I just felt like it was it didn't matter if it was a goal off somebody's bottom or an armpit or a backside. It, it just had to go in the net for City and, and City had to get more goals than Luton. Eventually, you know, the second half was was pretty solid. But even still, like going to that stadium, and I know it's a cliche, but it, it did feel a little bit like an FA Cup tie. Um the players, the, the crowd are literally on top of the players. That's not an exaggeration. So City could have been on the back of an 18-win streak. And I still think it would have been the case that City go there and it's a 2-1 game. Um, I think Andrew made the point yesterday that had this been at the Etihad Stadium and City had only won by one goal, then suddenly we're talking about a different issue. But taking three points at Kenilworth Road is something that Arsenal very, very, very nearly didn't manage to do and probably shouldn't have done. Something Spurs very, very, very nearly didn't manage to do and probably shouldn't have done. And something that Liverpool literally didn't manage to do. So, um, yeah, I, I think it is, it, I don't, I don't understand the sort of the narrative building on the back of the game that, that City were necessarily poor because I think most teams have been poor there. And I actually thought City played really well. I, I think, Coming into the game because there was such a negative, there was such a dark cloud around the club with the performance at Villa Park just what three days, four days prior. Um, to to go into the game with no Erling Holland and then to concede that goal with almost the last kick of the half and to concede a bit of a shit goal as well. Um, I think it just kind of made people lose their heads a little bit. Um, when in reality, if that goal doesn't go in at the end of that half, you're probably fairly happy with the first half. I mean, City created um, a couple of big chances. And, you know, like I said in the intro, th- this is what City were for a while, a team that could be fluid but not take their opportunities because we didn't have an Erling Holland. There wasn't mm-hmm. a Sergio Aguero to fall back on anymore. Um, a couple of those chances, if they fall to, you know, a Kevin De Bruyne or an Erling Holland, you probably – um, assume they're going to hit the back of the net, but no, I, I, I think the outrage just comes from going behind again, going behind to a team that you're perceived to be better than, which is, you know, 99% of the teams in Europe. Um, but I think that the biggest positive for me is the fact that city take the lead in the 65th minute and city's issue this year hasn't been necessarily scoring goals. It hasn't been being able to come from behind when they need to. It's been taking a lead and keeping it. You know, it was what three games in a row, Chelsea, Liverpool, Spurs, in which they dropped points from winning positions. Um, I know Luton is not on the level of a Chelsea, Liverpool, or Spurs, but you know, you're as you said, it was kind of, you know, one of those atmospheres where things can go wrong, the crowd's on top of you. Luton had a couple of corners at the end. I think they may have had a free kick on the edge of the box at the end of the game. So there was every reason for City to drop points again. And there were circumstances in which they could have dropped points again. And they didn't. They they showed that mental fortitude to 
just batten down the hatches and see the game out, which is what they did all the way to a treble last season. Yeah, I think if City had played the last 25 minutes like they did against Luton, against Tottenham, against Liverpool, against Chelsea, we're suddenly, what, five points clear? And we're talking about maybe going on to do a, a Centurions campaign as opposed to trying to sort of claw it back and, and win a fourth title in a row. Um, obviously, that's that's by the by now, but I totally agree. It was it was a, a professional performance, if nothing but in that second, in that sort of second half of the second half, because City had to win. Um and, you know, I, I don't think if we'd have been sat here on the back of a 1-1 draw or even, God forbid, a 1-0 defeat, then we'd have been sort of saying the same things. We'd have maybe been asking different questions, but they, they get the win. And, it, and the litmus test, obviously, will be to come in the next sort of couple of matches before the Club World Cup and, and even after the Club World Cup before the new year because there are some tricky tests. Um, Everton away is is particularly one at the moment, which I'm looking at going, that could be difficult. Um, uh, Just quickly on FootMob, they've got uh, Bernardo Silva down as the player who won their man of the match. Um, is that something you agree with? Because I thought Bernardo Silva was absolutely ex- exceptional. I've heard some shouts for Nathan Ake. I could even perhaps make a case for Phil Foden or even Julian Alvarez. And, and I want to touch more on Julian Alvarez a little bit later on. But um, who was your standout performer then, do you think, for for the game against Lewin? Yeah, I have no problem with man of the match going to Bernardo Silva. Um, I thought Nathan Ake was really good. I thought Jack Relish was really good, um, a player we may come on to. Um, you know, it's the it's the the players that you would expect to step up in the absence of others. Um, mm. You know, Nathan Ake, despite him, you know, maybe losing his place to Yasko Gavardial, which is another conversation. Um, he's just he's just the old reliable. You know exactly what you're going to get with Nathan Ake. He's going to come in. He's going to do the same job for 90 minutes and maybe he could have been better on the the Spurs goal um the mm. equalizer in in stoppage time or late on whenever that was um but typically with Nathan Ake you know exactly what you're going to get you know what you're going to get from Bernardo Silva um so I think it's good to see players like that putting in the performances we know that they should be doing um yeah, I, I thought Bernardo Silva was was sensational though there was a couple of little flicks around the corner that he did a little classic Bernardo Silva instances where he dribbles out of three or four people and you know it just he almost looks like a child running through the legs <laughs> of of adults are you a like me a Lord of the Rings buff Amos I've never watched it never watched one ever that's disgusting um <laughs> there there is a scene in the final movie in which they're fighting a bunch of the good guys are fighting a bunch of elephants like the soldiers are riding on elephants the bad guys <laughs> and Legolas who is the elf who's very agile and and you know he's quick on his feet he's like running through underneath the legs of the elephants and popping out of random corners and he's able to take down elephants despite him just being one lowly elf that's what bernardo silva reminds me of he can he can be you know crashed upon by three or four defenders and Mm. keep the ball just at his feet and he'll spin out of it and he'll leave all of them in his dust and it never gets old to watch And that's Bernardo so, Silva. So somebody, please, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm assuming this is a call for Andrew Detmer or John <laughs> to make me a clip of Bernardo Silva taking down an elephant in Lord of the Rings. 
very niche, very niche, even for our standards. Um, yeah, I, I mean, going back to, to real life, um, you can make the case that Bernardo Silva looks like a kid anyway, let alone sort of running about stylistically because he is on the shorter side. Um, but yeah, I thought he was brilliant. Again, Kovacic, shout out to him. He's had a lot of stick in recent weeks, but coming in next to Rodri just showed it up. And dare I say, having midfielders play midfield makes your midfield a little bit better. Um, maybe even Phil Foden, because he, he flirted with, uh, and I want to sort of pick up because I've seen people say, oh, Phil Foden played in midfield. And that's not totally true. He was floating across. He, he went out to the right hand side a, a couple of times. I think he started in midfield and then towards the end of the second half. However, he certainly had a lot more freedom. And I don't know how you get past this because City have plenty of good players. And I, and I actually think one of the issues from, specifically the Tottenham, maybe Liverpool, especially Chelsea games, was the fact that Guardiola, in the absence of Kevin De Bruyne, has been striving for this sort of pushing for creativity as much as he can get from uh, as many players as he can get. Um, I made the case, I think it was last week, that I don't think Alvarez, Foden, Doku and Haaland can play together, uh, Bernardo Silva as well into that to make it a five. But obviously, when you take a couple of those players out, it does give Foden the opportunity to shine a little bit more. And in those pockets, he looks a little bit, I don't know, he looked, he looked natural and it looked right. And I don't know if that's always been the case when Foden's gone in the middle. It has looked a little bit rushed at times, but I thought against Luton, he's start, certainly starting to mature in that position. Yeah, he absolutely is. Um, I think probably we saw him doing the closest we've come, we, we've seen any player to come doing the Kevin De Bruyne role. Because, mm-hmm. you know, De Bruyne may land on the team sheet as a central midfielder, but he does drift out onto little pockets of space on, on the right wing, particularly the right. He likes to whip those out swinging balls in. But, um, yeah, I, I thought he was really good. And, and it, it's helpful to have wingers like Bernardo Silva and Jack Grealish on either side of you because if Phil Foden is going all over the place, trying little flicks and trying little one twos, um, with Jeremy Doku on the wing and, you know, Oscar Bob on the other wing, it feels a bit more frantic. It feels a bit more chaotic because Jeremy Doku is also going to try and take people on and potentially lose the ball. He's going to try little one twos that may not work out. Um, so to have that stability around him with, you know, almost a shell of Bernardo, Jack Grealish, Kovacic and Rodri behind him, he does have a bit more freedom and, and he can try things that we know he has the ability, ability to pull off. Whereas if you have four or five people all trying those things and no protection behind them, you're going to end up conceding three against Spurs and four against Chelsea. Um, so I think with Phil Foden, it's it's all about him being in the best circumstances to to play that role. If you throw him into that role without any protection, you know he's going to give the ball away from time to time because he tries things, and and City will be um, you know conceding counterattacks left and right, but. Yeah, I thought he 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 did really well. He did like you said, he didn't feel rushed. He didn't feel like he was trying to force things because he's finally getting his chance in the middle. Um and I think it helps that it wasn't Erling Holland up front. You know, it helps that it's not banging the ball into a big, big stiff idiot. Uh he's 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 banging the ball into Julian Alvarez, who can link up the play a little bit more. And that listen, Erling Holland has become very good with his link of mm. play. He's gotten much better. But um yeah, I think it was perfect circumstances for Phil. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it felt like it would almost sort of flipped away at times in the game from what we've been speaking about in the last few weeks where we were, you know, the, the build-up play for City was so fluid, it was so excellent and Julian Alvarez is, is wonderful, but at times it did feel like, Jesus, is this goal going to come? Because there isn't that finisher in the box and there was a few occasions where the ball would go out wide. Uh, I think Gavardi had a few opportunities to cross it in. That early cross we've become accustomed to in, in Haaland, a little a little bit like Adebayo for the Luton goal, actually, just sort of hanging it up at the back post and, and getting the header across the keeper. That didn't come. City did find a way to score. Obviously, Jack Grealish being the guy to score the winning goal. And um, I feel like we're eternally doomed to having constant Jack Grealish discourse flying about and I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> you're shaking your head already and I'm, I'm totally the same because the fellas scored two goals in in uh, two matches now for City one of them obviously coming off the bench against Tottenham and suspended versus Villa that's a whole separate conversation about his petulance and, and maybe slight attitude issues but you know we're not touching that yet However, he's he's obviously started against Luton. He's come back in. Some may argue by default because Doku isn't available. Um, so he was given that starting berth, but he scored the winning goal. And for all of the talk about Jack Grealish, for all of the the, the excellence that he's he's brought to City, one of the the criticisms and at times fair criticisms has been his productivity. However, he's popped up with the winning goal in what is a must win game for City, and he's still being criticised. I mean. I, I, I mean, you said it a couple of weeks ago, I think it was maybe about Calvin Phillips and, and, and the same applies here. It's, it purely is at, at, at some points just confirmation bias. And yes, you know, if you are judging it purely on a £100 million purchase, you're going to be left disappointed. But guess what? Football and, and football values and football um, transfer fees are, are arbitrary. It's complete nonsense. City paid, what, £16 million for Julian Alvarez. Does that mean to say that he had to he had to perform like a £16 million player? Obviously not. Ireland was, what, £47 million. He's performing like a £500 million player. So you get the point. I'm just left scratching my head going, when will it click? When will, when will people see Grealish for what he is? And that is a fantastic footballer. Uh Never. Yeah, but I think exactly. Yeah, I, I think if you are, what are we two and a half seasons into Jack Grealish at City now? If mm-hmm. you still haven't figured out what he's good at, what he's not good at, what role he plays in the team, what role he doesn't play in the team, um, that it's a personal problem. You see, you see what you want at this point. Um, if he was useless, he wouldn't get picked. Mm. It's as simple as and, that. And, and I, w- I want to just p- pick up on that because um, there have been claims that he's only in the team because City have invested so much money in him. But the, the well, the immediate counter-argument is the fact Calvin Phillips hasn't touched a football pitch for about two years. And, you know, we, we have gone on record and said that we would have liked Calvin Phillips to have had more of a chance. I stand by that. He's going to leave City and I'm not going to have properly known whether or not he was the right fit. Yes, we don't see trading. Guardiola does. Who are we to doubt him? But Jack Grealish played every single Champions League game last season as City won there. Let me check. Oh, yeah. First ever Champions League title. No one else has done that for City. Well, I mean, and and again, I want to caveat it myself. I'm not saying City won the Champions League because of Grealish, but he was part of the team that won it. And it was in a part down to him as well. He played 28 matches, I think it was, in the Premier League for City. Only missed 10. Um, Popped up in the big FA Cup games as well. A few assists in there. It, It... like, like you say, if you if it, if you don't see it, it's up to you because he's being played and he's not going to not be played unless Guardiola trusts him. And you know, for all the talk of him not scoring enough, he seems to score a lot of big goals. 
Big, big goals. Big, big goals. goals. Um, you know, Emirates last year, this game at the weekend. Yeah, it's Luton Town, but but it was a big moment to get City back into the game. Um, so, yeah, I, listen, if you look at Jack Grealish at the end of 90 minutes and say he didn't score two goals and provide an assist for Erling Holland and that was a useless performance, fine. I, I genuinely, I don't know what to tell you anymore. Um, that is your own personal issue and you could work that out with your loved ones. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we, but we've, t- we've talked about this as well. We did, we did a whole, we did a whole episode on this, maybe his first season. And mm. I remember I went back and I watched the goal mm. compilation city's enti- entire, I think it, it wasn't the treble winning campaign. I think it was his first season, the entire goal compilation from the whole season. And we counted the hockey assist, right? How many times did city score a goal because of a move? Jack Grealish started. Not a, mm. a move that he capped off. He wasn't the final ball into the box. He wasn't the final, you know, he didn't slide it into, into Erling Holland's path. But how many times did City score a goal because Jack Grealish drew men towards him and created space, slid the ball off to a Kevin De Bruyne, a Phil Foden, somebody who then does cap off a move? And and we we tallied it, right? We said, all right, let's let's start counting the hockey assists. So the pass before the the pass, what do his stats look like? And I think we added like 13 assists on to his season, something like that, which is mm. crazy. It's crazy. If you don't see his value in what he does for City, just because he doesn't, like Jeremy Doku, run a million miles an hour and run circles around people and get into the box, that's that's fine. Mm. But clearly, Pep Guardiola values him because he picks him. He picked him all throughout a campaign in which City won a treble. Um and you know maybe he's not getting picked anymore because of a shift in Guardiola's thinking. Like we said, is he trying to get more creative players, more people that can take men on in the absence of Kevin De Bruyne? Fine, but that doesn't mean that Jack Grealish isn't a useful player because he's not Jeremy Doku or Phil Foden. He's mm-hmm. v- extremely useful in his own ways, just like Rodri, just like Nathan Ake, just like Kyle Walker. Just any any specific player does a different role. Yeah, in the squad of 22 players or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah, it's frustrating. I do almost feel like there are certain people who lament Grealish's success, which is crazy because, like, uh, yeah, I mean, one day we'll stop speaking about it. I do fear it's when he's left the club. And and just I just hope he can get the the respect he deserves because he's great. He's great. And I'm not saying everyone has to have a Grealish number 10 shirt and him him be their favourite player. You know, that's not what I'm saying, but he's more than useful. In fact, he's very good for City. The moment we get off this recording, I'm going to go watch the goal compilation. I'm going to do it all again. I'm going to watch the goal compilation from the treble winning season, and I'm going to tally every single time a goal is scored because of a move Grealish started. And I'll count those as assists, and we'll see how much his stats change from last season. And the next time I am on this podcast, I will reveal the results. There we go. There we go. Um, I guess then we'll take a break now. Uh, we'll speak in part two a little bit more about City's title hopes and whether or not the Blues are back in the race. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The Etihad Stadium really is wonderful at this time of the season, and the same goes for McDelivery. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome back to the City Report podcast, your second episode of the week. Another midweek game, however, um, well, there will be a preview for it as as usual. Don't expect the sort of the in-depth analysis that we do go into before the match because Red Star away is about as dead rubber as you can imagine. That'll be coming tomorrow, though. So in part two, we're going to focus a little bit more on the title race because just seven days ago, Adam, Arsenal Football Club were crowned 2023 Premier League champions, so congratulations to them. Um, however, at 12.30, or no, sorry, at half past six on Saturday evening, Liverpool Football Club were crowned 2023-24 Premier League champions, so congratulations to them. Um, where does City sit then? Because, Well, I can tell you, they sit fourth, but in terms of the, the big picture, in terms of the title race, where, in your eyes, the City sit, it reads as follows. City in fourth on 33, Aston Villa, a fair play to them, in third on 35, Arsenal, they're in second on 36, and Liverpool top on 37. Are City still the favourites, do you reckon, for you? Um, In the bookies' eyes, yeah, I think so. I think they should be. Um, you know, we had this discussion at the weekend because of an interview that Jurgen Klopp did, which ended up going quite viral, um, in which he said that this, this time in most seasons in the past city are typically 15 points clear. Um, obviously, you know, that was a bit of an exaggeration, but, but what I did was I went and and looked at, uh, every Premier League table from the last four seasons, um, well, actually not the last four seasons, the last four times City have won the title. And just to look to see what the table was 15 games in. Now, we're 16 now, but at the time it was 15. So last season, City were five points off the top. Season before that, City were one point clear at the top. Uh, two seasons before that, uh, City were an eighth, seven points off of the top. And the season before that, City were two points clear at the top. Obviously, they go on to win the title in all of those seasons. So I think it would be foolish to write City off, given where we are in the season, given that they are notorious for going on a winning streak in the late winter, early spring. Um, That winning streak hasn't come yet. It may very well start tomorrow. It it, it may start this upcoming weekend. Um, You never know with City especially when they aren't playing well. That, that tends to be when they come out of it as, as a bit of a cornered beast. My fear and why I don't have as much faith in this team to potentially go on a 20-game winning streak and run away with the league the way we've seen them do in the past is you take last season, for instance, at this point last season, City were five points behind Arsenal. I know what Kevin De Bruyne is made of. I know what Ilkay Gundogan is made of. I know what Riyad Mahrez is made of. 
I know what these players are made of because we've seen them do it time and again. I don't know what Matias Nunes is made of. I don't know what Mateo Kovacic is made of. He's won plenty in the past, but I haven't seen it at City. Um, I don't know what Jeremy Doku is made of. I don't know what Oscar Bob is made of, if he's going to play any sort of role. Um, There's a lot of unknowns about some of the mentality of some of these players. And I'm not doubting their mentality. We've just never seen it. We've never seen Mateo Kovacic step in when, you know, you think back to 2018-19, Fernandinho goes down. He was he was the Rodri at the time. He was irreplaceable. If Fernandinho goes down, we're screwed. Gundogan comes in, City win 14 straight and win a title. Can Kovacic do that? We've seen games mm-hmm. without Rodri this season. It's been a fucking shipwreck. <laughs> so that's where my fear comes in a little bit is I I don't want to say I'm doubting. I just don't know if some of these players have the mentality to win 20 straight games when they're 10 points behind first. They may. They may. It may just all be Pep Guardiola. It may just be the city DNA now. But until I've seen them do it, it's an unknown. Yeah, I, I think that's. I think that's a totally fair assessment. Um, here's a question, then, and and I don't mean literally better off in terms of points tally, because I think if you take the sixteen games in last season, it was something like five points. Obviously, City are four points behind now. Do you think City were better off in their title race hopes or the title standings this time at this stage of last season, or are they better off now? Obviously, the difference being that last year it was. Pretty clear it was a two-horse race in terms of City and Arsenal. You could possibly make the case that it's a four-horse race um, in terms of sort of Aston Villa. We're getting towards a Grand National here. But are City better off or worse off in terms of their Premier League title hopes now than they were at this stage last year? I think worse off. Okay. Um, just because of the all, squad? For, for, for the reasons I outlined and reasons you just outlined that there are good teams in this division. You know, Aston Villa beating Arsenal and City in the same week. That's not Is that a not fluke. helping City out though, because I think if if we'd have come up against a Liverpool, or sorry, if this Liverpool was a uh, 2019 Liverpool, they're ten points clear already. So having that, because uh, it feels for me anyway that City might, and I'm not saying they will, but they might win the league by default in the sense that all the other teams are good and they're on having good years, but. Liverpool go to Arsenal and Liverpool might win. Arsenal might go to, uh, I don't know, Tottenham and Arsenal might win. Tottenham might go to Liverpool. City are beating those teams though. At the moment, but but to play devil's advocate, because I did think it was a shit show against Spurs, Liverpool and Chelsea, they remained unbeaten. They've not they've not been beaten by them. They've taken the same amount of points as they have done and you would probably back City across the next 20-odd games to take more points in those games against Brighton, West Ham, Fulham, Brentford, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, I, I, I'm just not convinced. I, I think you know if you compare it to last season when things went really stale, and we came on this podcast in in January and February and and said you know what's what's going wrong and um, why aren't City creating chances? And you know you think back to um, away City played Chelsea away. And they played a back five where Kyle Walker and Jao Cancelo were both right-sided <laughs> defenders. And they mm. seemed to have like a leash tied to each other. And it, it, it was horrendous. That's not the case this season. Like C- City know the system they want to play and it's not working. It's not that mm. Pep, maybe he hasn't quite figured it out yet with these new ball-carrying midfielders and a Jeremy Doku instead of a Mares or 
things like that. But um, the flaws that we're seeing um, don't feel like flaws where you can provide a tactical solution necessarily. Whereas last season it was sticking John Stones into midfield. That That's where the change came. Then they were able to create chances and have the control further up the pitch. A- at the moment, I think that it's simply that we have new players, new types of players, and they aren't fitting in yet. Um, yeah, it, it helps that there are more good teams that can take points off of each other, but that's under the assumption that City are going to take most of the points on offer to them, and they haven't proven to do that yet. I mean, if they don't come come from behind and win at Luton this past weekend, it's the first time in Pep's entire mm-hmm. career that he drops points in five straight games. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I, I this feels like I'm very negative. I just I just don't know. That's it. Mm. I I'd love to be pre- pleasantly surprised and see Matias Nunes get a run in the team, and all of a sudden he's you know the next big thing. Or Kovacic is able to step in when Rodri gets silly yellow cards and can control a midfield on his own. But none of this mm. has happened yet. In fact, some of it has been proven to not work right before our very eyes. So, yeah, I, I, I listen. If you write City out at this time of year, write City off at this time of year, you're an, you're an idiot. But there's still some questions that have to be answered. There'll be there'll be people who don't rate Jack Grealish and have written City out of the title race who are catching strays today. Poor them, um, and rightly so. And I know exactly what you mean. I guess it goes back to that sort of old adage of if you have a car engine and you take out the parts of a car engine and replace them one by one is it still the car engine and while City still have Kyle Walker from Pep's first title winning season Edison um John Stones Kevin De Bruyne I think that's all of them um I don't think I'm missing any perhaps Phil Foden you can chuck him in there but but the point being that those players are now very different to the to how they were back in 2017-18 and the Kyle Walker that won the Premier League title with City as a marauding right wing back is a very different player now. So, like you say, you know, City City have the parts, but they're not necessarily the, the tested and the proven parts. City lost a, a lot of good and, and reliable parts in the summer, but that's how that's how you that's how you evolve and that's how you sort of uh, uh, get <laughs> sort of sustained success over a five ten year period. Um, well, go on. You know, you t- you talk about City's first title winning season under Pep and and yeah Kyle Walker's new in in the system and Gundawan was fairly new then and but who who's around them it's Vincent Company mm. David Silva Sergio Aguero these players that have done it and they've proven mm. to come from behind in title races 2012 um you know so that that's just that little inkling of fear. Every, it's so foolish to say that City are out of this title race because they obviously are not. Mm. But it feels like there are more flaws and there are more questions and there are more hills that need to be climbed than in the past. Because if last season Ilkay Gundogan goes through a sticky patch of form, Kevin De Bruyne, Kevin De Bruyne was horrendous. In stretches of the treble winning season. Horrendous. But I know Kevin De Bruyne is going to eventually wake up and be Kevin De Bruyne. I don't know that Matias Nunes is going to be Kevin De Bruyne at some point. He's probably Mm. not. So Mm. there's just – there's too much unknown at the the moment that I – I can't put my faith in the unknown. 
It's why I'm not a religious man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I guess my fear, perhaps more than anything, systemic, personnel-wise, mentality-wise, because I do think there's been a little bit of complacency from City, naturally, though, because we, we won the treble, what, six months ago, less than six months ago. You know, it's, it's only natural. But I do wonder if City's luck might run out. And I'm not suggesting that City's title wins have been lucky. But you get you get the, the rub of the green every now and again. You know, Rodri should have conceded a penalty at Goodison Park at 1-0 up for, uh, you know, a, a truly ludicrous handball call that wasn't given. City go and win that game and win the win the title by 1.2 points, whatever it was. Um, I looked at Declan Rice glancing a header in at the 97th minute at Kenilworth Road thinking, you know, that that is the sort of things that you look back on at the end of a title winning campaign or Liverpool coming from uh, a goal down to win against Fulham 4-3, having a man sent off against Crystal Palace. It just doesn't feel like City have had that look this time around and sometimes it does catch up with you and, and that's fair that's absolutely fine that's how the season works but um that's a question for me i guess um anything else to add before we bounce because i think we've covered we've, we've touched most bases there uh no i think if i since i think i've probably come off as a bit negative throughout this episode um <clears throat> i still back city to win the league simple uh, as that yeah, fair enough. I think most people do. And, and, and I totally and subscribe if, to that. If three months from now, City have won 17 straight games, it will not be a surprise. Mm, mm. If but they the don't, time, it, will, yeah. it will be equally unsurprising. Yeah, at the same time, if they don't, then I don't think we'll be sat here going, oh my God, how, how, why has that not happened? What a failure. It was, it was City's luck to win the treble in a transition season last year when things were sort of being ripped upside down and, and a new strike was coming in, a new style of football. Um, that sort of that transition has been amplified because of Mares, because of Gundogan, etc. So we'll see, we'll see. But if there's any man to do it, it's of course our very own Pep Guardiola. Um, okay, that'll do for today, Adam. Thank you very much. Thank you. And listeners, thank you very much. Until next time, it's been a pleasure. We'll see you later. Make sure you're geared up for Man City's end of season running with McDelivery. Great food delivered right to your door. By using McDelivery, you won't miss a moment of City's crucial running. And just like Kevin De Bruyne, they deliver your order exactly where you want it. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? At participating restaurants only, 18 and plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the Talk Sport Fan Network. Talk Sport. Powered by fans.